If you have your Bible, I really hope you do, I want to invite you to turn with me to two places. I want you to go ahead and get these two places ready. First place I want you to have ready is Matthew chapter 13. Second place I want you to have ready is Isaiah chapter 6. Matthew 13 and Isaiah chapter 6. Guys, I want to say, last week was an amazing time to worship with y'all. I got to tell y'all. It did my heart good. And I want you to hear me on something. A lot of people say, well, yeah, it did your heart good because the sanctuary is full. No, it did my heart good because your hearts were prepared to worship when you come into this place. It done me good because you worshiped freely throughout the whole service. It done me good because we got to see six individuals baptized. And um, today we're going to be bringing a couple of those who were baptized before you. We're not going to bring everybody before you at one time, but there are 17 people that will be coming before you over the next couple of weeks that desire to join Harmony Grove Baptist Church. You know, after Easter, pastors, worship pastors, parishioners, and even guests, um, a question comes to mind. Okay, what next? What next? This is the pinnacle of our holidays. We just reached it. We, we, we not just made it through it. We celebrated through it. So what next? How do you build on last week? Will next week be as good? What do we do now? These are all questions that come to our mind at certain points of our life. Maybe it was after that time of salvation. God had changed some miraculous things in you. You had realized the forgiveness that you were offered. And the thought comes to your mind, what next? Maybe it was after you were married. We got a couple who's going to be married this week. Looking forward to Keaton and Allison uh, Keaton surrendering his life to Allison um, for the rest of his life. But even after that moment, I remember me and Jennifer got home from the honeymoon. I'm like, okay, what next? But there's always these points in our life where we wonder, what's next? So what is next? Believe it or not, this is a question that the disciples of that time had themselves. In Acts chapter 1, I don't want you to turn there. I'm going to read it to you. The disciples look at Jesus and say, Lord, are you restoring your kingdom to Israel at this time? What they were asking is, Lord, all this has taken place. The ministry, the cross, the resurrection. What next? And Jesus gives them an answer that... Um, can seem a little bit pointed. He says to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set in his own authority. In other words, he's saying, stop worrying about what's next. And then he lays this on them. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
Can you imagine what the disciples were thinking? Uh, this is what we've been doing the last three years. Is there not something more? Something inside of us is always longing for something more. But sometimes, something more causes us to miss what is really, really important. Back in the 60s, some of the greatest times in car history, we've seen some amazing cars be built. And my uncle's seen a lot of these amazing cars be wrecked. I think it was Ricky who had a... Um, GT, no, you didn't have the GTO. You wrapped the Chevelle around the telephone pole, didn't you? Or one of you did. But uh, my uncles, they had Chevelle SSs, GTOs. They had cars that I only dreamed of. When I start getting ready to drive, we have things like Ford probes. Woo! <laughs> Even our Mustangs had a four-cylinder. It's like, woo! Get a little bit older. We want something that gets 40 miles to a gallon. Go, you go. <laughs> Some of y'all don't even know what that is. <laughs> but in 2014, an interesting thing happened with one of our automotive companies. One of our automotive companies, Chrysler, was bought by a company, the Fiat company. And they thought everything was about to change for Chrysler and for Dodge. The CEOs of Dodge went to their new bosses and said, okay, you've taken us over. What do you want us to do now? The CEO of Fiat looked at the man and said, I want you to do what you've always done good. I want you to rebuild the American muscle car. The CEO of Dodge said, do you hear what you're saying? We're living in a time where everybody is going fuel economy and you're wanting us to bring back the muscle car. And this was the charge put before them. I want you to put more horsepower under the hood of any production car out there. So Dodge went to work and boy, did they go to work. Their first challenge was bringing back some of the old cars, the chargers, we all know the Chargers. How many of y'all remember the Dukes of Hazard? <laughs> you want to know why there's no Chargers out there today? Yeah, you can thank the Duke boys. God bless them. But they brought back the Charger. Not only did they bring back the Charger, they brought back the Charger with 707 horsepower. Can you imagine 707 horsepower? That's equivalent to what most of us will see on Martinsville today. 707 horsepower. You know the most beautiful thing about that car? When you buy that car, if any of y'all want to buy that car for me, excuse me, excuse me for saying this, it's called the Hellcat. I prefer gunmetal gray. You got that? Hellcat, gunmetal gray. If I can't fit in it... <laughs> We'll figure something out. But regardless, you get two keys, a red key and a black key. The black key is what you would use every day. When you use the black key to crank up the Dodge Charger Hellcat, 
it gives you access to 385 horsepower. My Subaru has 140. <laughs> this is what you would give to your kids if you were to even think about allowing them to drive that car. 385 horsepower. But if you take this red key and you use the red key to start the car, it gives you access to all 707 horsepower at one time. Can y'all imagine? Y'all be bailing me out of jail. <laughs> Every single one of y'all. I live right next to the airport. Joey would be fussing at me all the time because he wouldn't even be able to land a plane. I'd be going up and down it. We'll call it the evangelism mobile. We can put lost people in it. I'll take them across the mountain. If they don't find Jesus by the time we get back, we'll come back across. <laughs> Dodge was told to do what they were meant to do. The American muscle car. What Jesus is saying to the disciples is I'm commanding you to do what you were meant to do. Proclaim the gospel. Wait a minute, that's it? The gospel? That's what we've been doing, Jesus. That's what we've been doing for three years. Why would you ask us to continue to do this? Because advancing the gospel, and I want y'all all to hear me on this, advancing the gospel is our job. It's our job. I want you to say that with me. Advancing the gospel is our job. Advancing the gospel is our job. Not the preacher's job. Not the deacon's job. Not the Sunday school teacher, worship pastor, children's minister, youth minister's job. It's whose job? It's our job. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about a kingdom of grace. A lot of people, when we, talk, when we hear the words of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and the gospel of heaven, and the gospel of God, and the gospel of grace, they get a lot of things confused. They say, well, there's multiple gospels. Guys, there's, all one, there's only one gospel, okay? It all is surrounded by Jesus Christ, okay? No matter whether it's for the Jews or for the Gentiles, there is one gospel. They are synonymous with one another. That's why I entitled this the kingdom of grace. Because it's not a kingdom gospel versus a grace gospel. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even when Peter preached at Pentecost, not only did he preach the kingdom, he also preached repentance and belief in the one who died, who was buried, and who rose again. It's the gospel of grace. It's the gospel of the kingdom. And brothers and sisters, it is our command to teach it. In Matthew chapter 13, funny, what's funny about this is last week I talked about the conspiracy of the cross. And I mentioned Matthew chapter 12, when the, when the Pharisees started conspiring against Jesus to kill him. Right after this, 
Jesus has given his disciples a glimpse of what their task is. We call them the parables. What are parables? Parables are heavenly stories with an earthly implication. It's God's way, Jesus' way, of helping us to understand something that we can't obtain, but it's also a way of confusing those whose hearts are hardened. But before we can get into the Gospels, or the parables, we really got to get into a couple of things first. Even before Jesus died on the cross, this was what he told the disciples they were going to be doing. They were going to be advancing the gospel. He told them this in a story called parables. And in Matthew 13, he gives them why he is telling them this. And in verse 10, this is what Jesus says. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see. And while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes. Hear with their ears. And understand with their hearts. And return. And I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes. Because they see. And your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Pray with me. Father, as I pray every week, open our eyes. Open our ears. Soften our hearts. The topic of the gospel is a life and death discussion. And it is a discussion that we have to face the reality of. So Father, this morning I pray that our eyes are open to the severity of the sin sickness that is around us. But our eyes are also open to the grace that has been given to us to show others. I pray that our ears can hear the screams, Lord, of those who will be tormented forever in anguish. So that our ears can hear your word and lead us in a way, Lord, that would have compassion on those who need to hear about you the most.
I pray that our hearts would be softened. And I pray, Lord, that you will be glorified. Bless this word. Bless this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know a secret. Don't you think about that for a minute. You know a secret. You know a mystery. Who doesn't like to know a secret? When I was younger, I can remember in our time, in our town, we had party lines on some lines. Brian, you remember these as well. Tommy, you probably remember them. Every once in a while, you could pick up the phone and you could hear all kinds of secrets. You could hear all kinds of, I'm sorry, they were Baptist women. You could hear all kinds of prayer requests. (laughs) Everybody wanted to know the secret. Everybody wanted to tell everybody what they knew. And the secret that we know is something that we don't need to let our hearts grow weary of. Most of us have heard and understand. Most of us have seen and grasped it. But there is a sober reality that all of us must face. Many will see and hear and just not get it. Many will see and hear the gospel and they just won't get it. Let's talk honestly for a minute here. That statement, what does that do to your heart? Because I want to share with you what it does to my heart. It crushes me. And I want to tell you why. Because many are some of my family. Because many are some of my friends. Because many are some of the people in our community. And brothers and sisters, I've just got to be truthful with you. There's a chance that many could even be some of you. There's a chance that many could be some people that are sitting over in that restroom. There's a chance that many could be some of the people that are watching online right now. And this breaks my heart because the gospel has been freely given. It's been freely put out there for everyone to grasp a hold of. If they repent of their ways and they turn their life towards Jesus and believe in his death, burial, and resurrection, that's the gospel. They shall be saved. But you know one of the things that gets me the most? Why don't they get it? You ever wondered that? You ever wondered that? Why do some people not get the simplest of things? And the answer comes down to the condition of their heart. Next week, I'm going to be talking to you about the parable of the sower. 
I'll be honest with you. I think it should be called the parable of the soul. The reason I think it should be called the parable of the soul because the parable of the soul talks about the condition of the people's heart. And before we send you out, because I don't know if you know this or not, but this is Evangelism 101. Before we send you out, I want you to be prepared for what you're going to hear. I want you to be prepared for the responses that you may get. I want you to be prepared not to give a defense, but be prepared so that you don't harden your heart towards people because they reject what you're telling them. Brothers and sisters, I want you to remember this. Whenever you share the gospel, people aren't rejecting you. Man, I wish they were just rejecting me. I'll be honest with you. Because if they're rejecting me, there's still the chance for life after death. If they're rejecting me, there's still the chance of forgiveness for sin. If they're rejecting me, there's still a chance for hope in their life. But what's really happening is they're rejecting Jesus. And when people reject Jesus, there's no salvation. There's no redemption. There's no forgiveness of sin. And there is no hope. Whenever you go out to evangelize, no matter how you do it, people aren't rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. So, why is it? Why is it that many hear the word many times and unfortunately harden their hearts to it? Well, to get to this, we need to turn all the way over back where I told you to Isaiah chapter 6. The story of Isaiah chapter 6 is a very interesting story. Isaiah is brought into the scene and a commission is given to, them, to Isaiah. And Isaiah is told that he will go out and proclaim the word to many. It was actually, it's putting kind of a question. God talks about the word that needs to go out and proclaimed and God asks who will go before us. And Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. But the words that come after that are words that aren't very, very flattering, especially for somebody who is about to go out on mission. And starting in verse 10, and I'm just going to read, or starting in verse 8, I'm just going to read 8 and 10 real quick. The Lord says to Isaiah this thing. Then I heard a voice from the Lord saying, whom shall I send and whom will go before us? Then I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go and tell the people. Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of these people insensitive. Their ears are dull. Their eyes are dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. Hearing is something that all of us, whether we want to admit it or not, we have a problem with. We truly have a problem with hearing. The other day, my boys told me, Daddy, 
the grass is getting high. I didn't want to hear that. I look over, I'm driving up, they're in the back. I'm driving up, I look over, I see two weed sprigs about that high, two. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, they're just wanting to ride the lawnmower. I know what they're wanting. They're wanting their daddy to get a sinus infection, not be able to preach. They're just wanting to ride the lawnmower. But the truth of the matter is, the grass is getting a little bit high. I don't want to hear when my wife looks at me and says, do you need to go to the doctor? Because I know really what she's saying. She's not saying, do you need to go to the doctor? She's saying, get yourself to the doctor before I take you. Well, I don't like to hear that. Why don't I like to hear that? I hate shots. I'm serious, guys. Come at me with a needle, I'll punch you out. <laughs> if, you're, if you are a male nurse, if you're a doctor, Male doctor, you come at me with a needle, I'm going to hurt you. That's why I try to find female nurses and female doctors, because I don't want to punch them as bad. But if you're a male nurse, if you're a male doctor, you come at me with a needle, it's going to be hard. I'm afraid of them. But I'm also afraid of the reality. Once I turned 40, an amazing thing happened to my body. Everything before 40 was great. Once I turned 40, a check engine light come on and it has not gone off since. <laughs> you know what I mean? Brian, you're there. Don't laugh. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Things start falling apart. Things start wor don't start working. You bend over, pick something up. Oh, I never felt that before. You know what I mean? We don't like listening to what our body's telling us. We don't like listening to what our wives are telling us. We don't like listening to the reality of what our children may be telling us. And sometimes we don't even like listening to what God is telling us. We don't like listening to what God is telling us because God is looking at us through a different lens. He's looking at us, and I know, guys, this is a hard, hard, hard thing to say. But he's looking at us with Christ here and us here. Really? There's not even a comparison, is there? When you look at the life of Christ and you look at the life of Scotty, you see two totally different individuals. But when God speaks, what is he trying to do? He's trying to mold us. He's trying to sharpen us. He's trying to chisel away things that are in our life. Not to get rid of Scotty, but to make Christ more visible in our lives. And we don't like this. We don't like this at all. Because this may mean, this may mean that we may have to get rid of some habits. This may mean that we may want to get, I mean, we may have to get rid of some likes. A lot of times we catch ourselves thinking, why can't people just believe? Why is it so hard? Brothers and sisters, let me ask you a real question. Why can't we just hold to this? Honestly, when you sit down and you read this, how much of your life reflects this? How much of this 
is visible in your life. Because I'm going to be honest with you, I may have three pages. I may have three pages down. But that's about it. The thing is, when we become a new creation, which we are, and I pray most of us are, I pray all of us are, but when we become a new creation, sometimes we forget what it's like to be on the other side. Sometimes we forget what it's like to be broken. And the funny thing is, we're still broken. Sometimes we forget what it's like to be caught up in sin, sickness, and honestly, we're still caught up in some sickness, sickness. We forget what it's like to be lost because our eyes have been opened to grace. I want you to be honest with me. How many of you responded to Jesus the first time he called you? No hands? Seriously? So why do we expect the world to respond to the message of the gospel the first time we give it to them? Their ears can't hear. Their hearts can't understand. And brothers and sisters, you are blessed because you hear and you understand. So why can't they see? Well, believe it or not, seeing is a problem that we have as well. And honestly, if you look at society today, it's easy to see that we have a problem with seeing. Two years ago, I was at the doctor with... um, with Rick and Sally. I can't remember. I was trying to think of which one was trying to have the procedure. But either Rick or Sally was having a procedure. I got to go to the hospital before the procedure. John and Donna was there. John and Donna had gone off to get something to eat. And I'm just sitting there watching people like I normally do. Not in a scary way, just, you know, out of the corner of my eye, watching what people do. And I watched this gentleman go up to the vending machine. He goes up to the vending machine, puts in a dollar, Presses the number for Doritos. The Doritos comes out, falls halfway over, and gets stuck in the glass. So this caught my eye. I'm sitting there thinking, what next? He pulls out his wallet. He gets another dollar. Puts it in. Press the number for Doritos. Guess what happens? Comes out partway. Still stuck. Now I'm really paying attention because I'm wondering, what's this boy about to do? He's an older gentleman. You could tell he was grumpy about something. Well, he's in the hospital. Nobody's real happy when they're in the hospital, but he was grumpy about something. So he pulls out another dollar. He puts it in the machine. Hits the number for the Doritos. Comes out part way. It stops. Then he lets out a four-letter word that I'm not allowed to say from the pulpit. He stomps off, and I'm just sitting there thinking, why didn't he hit the glass? As soon as I'm sitting there thinking that, a 14-year, a probably 14-year-old boy was watching too. As soon as the guy leaves, the boy goes up, slaps the glass. All three Doritos fall down. He gets them all. We think seeing is believing. 
But seeing is not always believing. Because if seeing was believing, that gentleman would not have done it, not once, not twice, not three times. He would have banged the glass. He would have went and got somebody. He would have fixed the problem right away. Luckily, I left before the gentleman come back because I know he would have been mad when those Doritos were gone. That boy, he was happy. He was blessed that day. But, I, <laughs> but it's funny what you, what you observe by watching people. Seeing, brothers and sisters, is not necessarily believing. And it doesn't always lead to understanding. When Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees, Nicodemus poses a question to him. How am I to be born again? Is it possible for me to enter the womb? And Jesus throws this back at him. Can you see the wind? Can you see the wind? No. Got to see it a little bit yesterday. Watched some videos of Panama City. I was praying that wasn't y'all in the video too. Seen the wind come across the ocean. Everybody kept saying water spout. That was a tornado. That wasn't no water spout. Here it is just off the coast. You see it whirling around. The guy takes his camera, goes down to the ocean. What do you think we see? People in the ocean. Y'all, that was actually who I was hoping y'all would. I was like, man, I hope that ain't Peggy and them. Did they see the wind? Did they believe that there was a threat? No. Did they respond to it? No. No, we don't always see the wind. We don't always know where it comes from, but do we know the wind exists? Yes. Do we always do smart things when we see the wind? No, we do not. So even in us knowing right from wrong, Let's be honest. Seeing isn't always believing to us. We saw six people baptized last week. We're going to be seeing over 17 people joining the church in the next couple of weeks. You've heard testimony of a father seeing his son come to know who Jesus was. Brothers and sisters, how much more do we need to see? To realize that what we've been given, what we've been entrusted to, is life and death. They may not see it and understand it the first time, but that doesn't mean we give up on them. Parents, I want to ask you a question. When you first tried to lead your child to the Lord, did you give up on the second time? Did you give up on the third time? Did you give up on the fourth time? Well, in Discipleship 101, I want you to remember this. Everybody is somebody's child. Everybody is somebody's child. You wouldn't give up on your child, and I promise you, somebody doesn't want you to give up on their child either. Evangelism's tough. 
Evangelism's hard. And that's where the last warning comes in. Psalms 95 says today, if you hear the voice, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. A lot of people have a lot of questions when it comes to evangelism. What do I say? The gospel. How do I share it? Through your story. How long do I do it? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Because in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 11, Isaiah asked the same thing. Then I said, Lord, how long? How long am I to do this? And here's the Lord's reply. Until the cities are devastated and without inhabitants. Houses are without people and the land is utterly desolate. You know what that means? Until there is nobody. Until there is nobody. That's when evangelism stops. Until nobody is longer, any longer here to hear it, that's when evangelism stops. It doesn't stop when we get to a certain age. It doesn't stop when we get to a certain point in our life. It doesn't stop just with our children. It doesn't stop with our family. It doesn't stop with our friends. It doesn't stop with the people at work. It stops when nobody is here. That's when evangelism stops. You want to know the greatest thing about this? As long as we're Christians on earth, we'll never have to worry about unemployment. Never will we have to worry about being unemployed. Our job is full. And guess what? Our returns are hopeful. But I want to warn you of a couple of things. Just like it's possible for unbelievers to harden their hearts, we got to remember that it's possible for believers to harden their hearts as well. Our pride can harden our heart. Our pride can harden our heart because we understand something that people don't. This is an issue. This is an issue because what comes out of this issue is we think we're better than someone else. Brothers and sisters, let me make something clear. The only thing that makes me and you better is Jesus. And those people with Jesus will be just as good as we are here. Do not put yourself on a pedestal because you have been enlightened. Because you were once broken. You were once undone. And somebody was gracious enough to share the gospel with you. Don't you dare put yourself on any pedestal. Because I can promise you this. Any pedestal you put yourself on, God will knock you off of it. Secondly, our patience can grow weak with no response. And I've heard this a lot from people when it comes to evangelism. Scotty, I just don't get no response. Neither did Jeremiah. What? Neither did Jeremiah. Jeremiah was told to go proclaim the good news. And you know what else Jeremiah was told? 
but no one's going to listen. Go out and do it, but nobody's going to listen. You know what this means? God isn't worried about your success. He's worried about your faithfulness. Jesus did not even bat a thousand. Do you understand that? There were people who rejected Jesus and there will be people who reject you. So don't let your heart grow hard with being patient with people. Next, don't grow angry when people mock you. And I'm not going to go into this one because I already went into it a little bit. When people mock you, they're not mocking you, they're mocking Jesus. Quit making it about you. Evangelism is about you being available. It's not about your feelings. If you're worried about being popular, you might as well go ahead and shell that one. Brothers and sisters, whenever the gospel is proclaimed, whoever proclaims it is never popular. Matter of fact, most of the time they're ridiculed by their family and at the end of this chapter, we'll see even by their own city. When you feel that you are doing something foolish, know this, that you are right on track. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 says, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Tommy. For many years of your life, you were driving with that black key. That black key that only gave you so much power, limited you, held you back. But when the Holy Spirit came on you and dwelled in you, you got access to that red key. You got access to all 707 horsepower of the Holy Spirit. Actually, it's more than that. You have access to the supply. And I want you to remember this. The gospel, the Great Commission starts off and we miss, this out. we miss out on this a lot. I don't read this enough. Jesus saying, all power on heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded, and lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. Some of you say, Scotty, evangelism is something I can't do. Not without God, it's not. But I want you to remember what key you have this morning. So this morning is a time of invitation. I've got two invita- three invitations for you. First, is your heart hard? Is your heart hard towards unbelievers? Because if it is, that's something that you need to get right this morning. That's something that you need to let go of. You need to let go of the feeling of being inadequate. 
You need to let go of the feeling of not knowing enough. You need to let go of the rejection. You need to let go of the mockery. You need to let go of all these things that were never really yours to grab a hold of. And you need to realize that your hard heart is hindering you from doing what you were created to do. Next thing, why don't you be honest with me? And I don't want hands on this, but I want you to think about this this morning. Everybody in here knows somebody who's lost. When's the last time you prayed for them? When's the last time you prayed for eyes to see? When's the last time you prayed for them for ears to hear? And when's the last time you prayed for them for a heart to understand? So many days of my life go by without me praying for the lost. And brothers and sisters, it's something that should be a part of our life every day. It is our obligation, and I do say it as an obligation, to pray for our lost family, to pray for our lost friends, to pray for our lost community. And it is our obligation to turn our hearts to God on their behalf. So this morning, maybe you need to get rid of the hard heart. This morning, maybe you need to pray for your lost ones. This morning, maybe you realized all this time your heart's been hard. You've heard the gospel a hundred thousand, millions of times. And every time you hear it, anger welts up in you. And this anger that welts up in you is nothing more than the reality of who you are. Not being able to live up to a certain level. And Christ taking the punishment that was supposed to be yours. Brothers, that's nothing to harden your heart about. Sisters, that's nothing for you to let your heart grow calloused over. This morning, I'm asking you, soften your heart and let him in. As they sing, as we stand, those are your three invitations. He who has an ear, let him hear.